You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. episode 29 of Storyteller Conclaves. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Not too bad. Not too bad. I think we just rocked out that intro without even thinking about it. I... <laughs> I think it's been, a, it's been a trying week for us all. It's good to get back in the studio. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's, it's like a familiar friend who's here and not asking you for much, right? Just an hour of your life. <laughs> I want to. I want to actually start uh, start tonight by telling a, a, a semi unrelated story. Okay. Um. So uh, my lesson for gaming so far is that no good deed goes unpunished. Oh. Uh. So for those of you who don't know me personally, um, I have uh, just some neck issues that kind of cause headaches mm-hmm. and such mm-hmm. like that and stuff like that. So my my posture is very important, and if I don't mind my posture, especially for long periods of time, I end up with a migraine for like two days. Uh oh. Um, so last time we gamed, uh, back, you okay there? Yeah, I'm fine. Just okay. assault in the mic. My bad. My <laughs> We're getting bad. used to new mic stands yes, in the studio. Yes, it's weird. Um, so, uh, when we played back at, uh, was it the, the end of September, I believe it was. Yes. Um, uh, I, I did not pay attention to my posture, mm-hmm. ended up with a horrible headache mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, well, that's my price for gaming. Yes. You know? Spent all day hunched over my D&D stuff and, uh, yep. here I was. Yep. So this time around, Uh-oh. I thought to myself, you know, I am going to, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna mind it this time. Yeah, I'm not gonna be a fool. I'm sure. gonna bring along an ice pack. I'm right. gonna take breaks. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make sure I'm sitting up and shoulders back, all that jazz. And I walked out of there, and my neck was feeling, you know, I mean, it felt like I'd been sitting weird all day, but, sure. but I wasn't, I wasn't hurting. I okay. wasn't developing a migraine or anything right. like that. Two hours later, I was running a fever. <laughs> So I'm thinking like next game is going to be Ebola for me or why, something or why food can't, poisoning. Why can't uh, it wh- – the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, Matthew Broderick and I think it was the uh, name of the rose, was it? Where he's just like, I told the truth, Lord. <laughs> How am I supposed to learn any moral lessons in life if you keep confusing me like this? <laughs> I, love, I love that scene. Yes. It is so honest. That was so from true. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. That's yes. what it was. That's right. That's Lady right. Hawk. So – all right. Well, we have a show. We have and a show. Our show this week is on pacing. Yeah. And uh, I remembered when we first wrote notes about this way back at the beginning, I had kind of an opinion on what I thought pacing really meant to me. Mm-hmm. And then I started going through the notes of this show and getting things ready. And I was like, hey, there's a lot more that I do with pacing that I didn't realize I do. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to kind of dissect all of the aspects of pacing, some of the stuff that's in my mind, some of the stuff that was in Sarah's mind, and just things that that old storytellers do. And I say old storytellers in the sense of general storytelling, mm-hmm. like everything from movies to TV shows to anything like that, what naturally comes to our mind. So if you're if you're Used to that genre, you're going to hear me talking about scenes. You're going to hear me talking about acts and things like that. But really all that is is just another term for a marker of time. Yep. Um, And 7C taught me a lot about pacing, Um, but not as much as Star Trek. (laughs) Okay. See? Isn't that weird to say that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Because, no, a little bit, but yeah, but but I, I see where you're going with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, not only because I've read your notes, but correct, correct. <laughs> I'm, but I'm a big Trek fan myself. So, so what is pacing? And looking that up, I found so many insane answers yep. that were long paragraph long statements about pacing, and some of them were very much um, written story, you know, uh, novella or short story design, mm-hmm. and some of them were related to gaming, but most of them didn't. But one person out there, one blogger, the Angry GM, had a really Neat quote, and that is, pacing is the speed at which things happen in scenes, the speed at which things happen in the story. Yep. Simple stuff. Simple stuff. I mean, people were writing full paragraphs without saying that. And I was like, are you kidding me? This yeah. This is as simple as it gets. Yeah. And But breaking down those two things, you get a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets a little more – I would say cumbersome and why the discussion needs to be there. Well, the, 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 the problem I have with pacing is um, simply that it's it's kind of um, – it's almost unquantifiable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've had long discussions about story elements and world building yeah. and, you know, how to build a big bad evil guy right. and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, those are all kind of things and you can kind of describe them. Um, whereas yeah. pacing is a chronological thing. It's, it's, it's very, um, it's very feely and not very thingy. Except I think someone did a good job of that. All right. All right. And that is, I was reading from the Alexandrian who really, if you don't get a chance to look at a blog, look at this blog. It's okay. good. It is really good. Okay. And the thing that he broke it down to is intention versus interruptions or obstacles. That is what pacing helps define. Okay. So when you're looking when you're thinking about uh pacing, think about the pace being identifying an inter- uh something in of intention. Okay. So what do you want to do? Right. All right. Choose the obstacles. Skip to the next meaningful choice. Okay. Rinse, repeat. So what what do you want? Right. What's in your way of achieving it? Correct. And now let's skip to a scene where we're ramming those two things together so that we can what, figure what, out what the resolution is. Well, for not even so much that. So much so much as it's identify the intentions, mm-hmm. choose the obstacles. Are we done with those things? What's the next meaningful thing? What's the next intention and the next meaningful obstacle? Okay. This yeah. is, that is truly pacing. And a lot of storytellers will start out in their mind frame that they have to do every moment. Mm-hmm. It's not intention. It's not obstacles. They'll throw random obstacles in there, you know, but it's basically I'm going to drop you like little icons in the world and you're going to go shuffle around and then eventually you're going to bump into an obstacle like an MMO. Yeah. You know, where you're given something, but it's really up to you to go there and do that. In role playing, you can run a game that way. There's no doubt. You mm-hmm. could have a dungeon run where it's literally room to room to room. And the players, you're describing every room and you're describing what they're doing. But that's that's one, shall I say, act of moving through something. Sure. Whereas if you're dealing with – and I say act as in the action act, not as in the scenery act. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing storytelling and you're talking about pacing, you're really talking about what's important between things. When you're watching a movie, they don't un- – unless it's important – Meaning it has a meaningful intention and an obstacle involved, whether mm-hmm. it's sociological or otherwise, you don't get to see the person fly for four and a half hours in a plane and be bored. Right. right. Unless there's a reason for it, an intention and an obstacle. You know, the intention is to show 
the character. Mm -hmm. Show character development and get to know the character better. Great. What are the obstacles? All of their frustrations on the plane. Great. Let's do snippets of moments on the plane. Great. I don't have to sit there for four hours describing the drinks he orders and and the uncomfortableness of the seat and roll perception checks for the kid behind him. And, you know, you don't do that. You move to the next meaningful thing, you know, and sometimes that's not even exiting the plane. We're talking about, hey, the group just discussed that, you know, we're shadow running and we're in Seattle and we just finished with the Johnson and we have to get to this place. Uh Great. What's the next scene? At you're, the place. You're at the gates, yeah. staked out outside about 100 meters. Okay. Or, or, or maybe, maybe a gear prep montage. Exactly. And then you're at the exactly. gates. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing is mm-hmm. the pacing is about moving between your intentions, your obstacles, and the next meaningful choice. I'm, uh, I'm thinking actually of the movie Snatch. Oh, yeah. And that's making me smile because there's a uh, – for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's a guy on the phone with a uh, – from, uh, from uh, on, in England with a guy in America and he says, how soon can you get to England? He says, I'm getting on a plane right now. And there is literally a two-second montage of a uh, – him boarding a plane, plane taking off, him taking a shot, the plane landing, him disembarking. It, and it's cut together in like little half-second snippets yep. of bump, 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 bump. Welcome to England. Yeah. And then they're face to face having yep. continuing the discussion is perfect. <laughs> like like nothing but and the conversation continues. Uh-huh. And that's the kind of beauty that you can do in storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you'll be looking at movies and it doesn't necessarily make sense that the players were, you know, the 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 one character just stepped into a room with like the boss and he's starting to walk and he walks through a door into the factory that you know is there mm-hmm. and the next shot is them continuing those same dialogue words clearly a quarter mile at the other end of the plant and you're like they had the the same they carried a conversation on for what probably looked like about 500 yards mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense but in storytelling it does in storytelling it, it, it does, does because it does. it's because it's pacing what you need is two things for them to have that conversation for the exposition and yep. for them to get to the to to the physical destination they're going in. So exactly. hey, what the hell? They've been talking the whole way. Maybe maybe they talked about a bunch of inconsequential stuff. We showed you the consequential things. That's yep. all you need to know. Yeah. So and then that's where kind of Star Trek came in for me was mm-hmm. because it was the first very much character driven story that involved a constant plot in the background, but character development. Yeah. So you're watching clean character development where you know that this scene in the bar is developing these two characters that has not necessarily nothing to do but oftentimes nothing to do with the actual plot. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be in the bar at that time. Why are they in the bar? It has nothing to do with plot but they're there because it's part of their daily life. Mm-hmm. It happens in between and it's a choice that happens. And so those are the kinds of things that come about with 7C is that oftentimes you have players who need to have their backstories addressed and discussed and you need to be able to make those pauses. So that's where I kind of go back to the angry GM uh, description of fast scenes and, and slow scenes, which is fast scenes are excitement scenes. They're usually your action scenes. Uh, they're you know uh, things that are about uh, – where individual details don't matter as much, mm-hmm. but it's about the tension and strong emotion that's going on. Right, right. Um, slow scenes are about information, imparting information, getting through factual exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can think about these as separate scenes, you actually cut them apart because it's hard. 
Because a lot of times we'll weave those together, especially when it comes to like dungeons and things. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, we just had a really big, exciting moment. All right, cut it, change it, make it so that it feels separate. Give it a bit of a gap in there where, yeah, you guys were all just in this fight and now, you know, it's been an hour. Yeah. You know, you yeah. had a little bit to eat and uh, you are now, you know, this character is now walking up to one of the relics and is putting his hands across it. And something about it reminds him of, uh, you know, some lore from from the past. And suddenly now there is a uh, a deep meaning to him. And that conversation is now slowing down the scene and it's deliberate. Mm-hmm. The players know that this is a slow scene. They're going to be researching this thing or talking about it and figuring out what their next steps are. You know, or it's the you just saved the town and, you know, you're the, you know, in your, your, you know, there's still, you know, burning embers and everything. And then suddenly it's an hour and a half later, you're opening the last doors and shutters to the one to uh, the root cellars and letting the children and women out uh, of hiding. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, and they're, you know, they're praising you and thanking you for saving their town. It's a slow scene. You're getting to figure out what's next and sure. you're planning your next steps. Sure. So that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. when, when I, the first things that I think of when I'm thinking of pacing. Mm-hmm. So you, had a little different edge to that, yeah. But I like the way you put you present it. So, um, I, I approached it a uh, little less from from fast and slow, though. Though they're very similar, very similar. Yep. Um, I approached mine uh, as push and pull scenes or right. attack and defend scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, uh, it's just just another way to look at uh, at how your pacing is, especially in heroic adventure style games. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is a classic, you know, oh, yeah. but but really any game which um especially if, if it's prone to combat and things like that. but even if you're if you're doing even a, m- a more social uh, game mm-hmm. like uh, maybe a seventh C or a particularly political game of vampire, mm-hmm. um you know, you can you can do a lot of the same sort of stuff. Uh, but you just move a lot of that combat, physical um, attack and defend to social attack and defend. Right. Um, and it can be the exact same thing. Very so much so. In a def- – it's it's an ebb and flow sort of of your story. So in an attack – or sorry, in a defend or a push cycle, um, the story revolves around the villain or the antagonist, mm-hmm. whoever whoever your, your opposing force is in the story, um, being on the offensive – um, so the antagonist is going to be dictating the terms for most of the conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be, you know, attacking the group, or they're going to be causing circumstances which requires the party to react. Um, moves. Uh, they're they're the one moving the timetable. Um, so perhaps they need to be stopped from enacting a plan. You know, it may not even directly involve the uh, the players, but like they're doing a dark ritual that will finish at midnight to summon an eldritch god. Well. Maybe you don't want them to do that and it's not like your players can wait around for them. So this is an attack cycle right. because they're the ones dictating the terms of this. And now yeah. your players are put on a put on their back foot. They need to rush. They right. need to make decisions. They need to have they need to act with consequence and every moment every action matters. Right. Okay. Um initiative matters. Initiative matters. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that starts narrowing down choices for them. Yep. Okay, and perhaps you need to start making things like Sophie's choices of like, well, if we do this, maybe we can't do that, you know, and it, it really sets the pace of uh, of needing to kind of rush, 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 rush. Um, 
on the other hand, you go into a what I call an attack or a pull cycle. Um, this is actually where the protagonists are the ones in control of the pace. Now, typically, the, the reason I call this an attack cycle is because the PCs can be on the attack. Okay. They're, they're, they're study. I think, uh, Mouse Guard does this as well with the storyteller portion and the player portion. And the player portion. They separate exactly. those so that it's about who's taking the initiative on the thing. Yes. Another good example, if you go to movie style, mm-hmm. um, any of the John Wick movies, you know where it's at. Whether it's the antagonist who's in control or John. Exactly. And the pacing changes completely. Mm-hmm. A uh, perfect example, um, is the, the scenes in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Where nothing can happen it are clearly John's scenes. He's setting the stage. He's holding the pace. It, it's still contentious, but it's safe, right? And right. it's social. And but there's still a little bit of a degree of of uh, of fight there or struggle. Mm-hmm. But it's very very different. I I haven't seen John Wick three yet. I did see John Wick two. Okay. Um, and uh, the example I would use from that one, um, there is a – to avoid spoilers, there is right. a, a a job he goes out on. He's right. a hitman. Yep. So you kind of know what he's out there to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he goes out on the job. But while he's on the prowl, he's doing a lot of setup. Mm-hmm. He's doing things and, and you know uh, – and he's not currently being hunted because he hasn't done anything wrong yet necessarily. That's his That's his attack cycle. OK? He's able to set the pace. He's able to dictate those terms. Once he does the job – and there is a reaction from the from the, the the forces he's up against. Now suddenly it turns into a chase scene where he's fighting a bunch of people. He's constantly under attack, and it leads to a lot of consequences. It switches immediately to a defense cycle. Right. And, I mean, it, it, and my question is: Is he being puppeted, or is he the one making the actions? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter because because what it is is it's it's the the story is told around the. Um, is it, it, it surrounds John. He's the main character, right? Of course. Okay, so he's the player character for all intents. Okay, so the storyteller, if you're if you're dictating that scene, if you're, if you're storytelling that scene, you're saying to to John's player, right? Okay, well, what do you want to do? You, right. You know what you need to yep. do. So what do you want? Well, I want to buy weapons. Okay, okay. cool. I want to. What weapons do you need? We have a shopping scene. Right. Okay. Now, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to look up blueprints and whatnot and I'm going to plan my assault. OK, cool. Give me a couple rolls. Yeah, you find these blueprints. Awesome. Sure. Now I'm going to meticulously sneak through the uh, through the sewers and I'm going to be planting weapons and strategic points. OK, cool. Give me a couple stealth checks. Boom. You got it. You got everything you wanted. And the last thing, I'm going to sneak in and I'm going to do the job. I'm going to make the hit. All right. All right. Cool. You've made the, – there's there's an exposition scene where he talks with his target. Right. Um. Things happen there. The target right. ends up dead. Right. Okay. Immediately, there it turns from a from an attack scene into a defend scene because right. the target's security force finds out. Yep. Roll initiative. Yep. Now we're moving. Yep. Now you need to defend. Now the success on those mm-hmm. stealth rolls earlier to hide the weapons are important. Now your research rolls to remember which tunnels you need to take through the sewers to escape are important. Yep. And if you, you don't have time to stop. You don't have time to think. You don't no. have time to change plan. It is react, 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 not dictate, dictate, dictate. Right. Okay. And that's – that's the ebb and flow I'm talking about. No, and I'm with you on that. And and one of the things that I wanted to talk about that you kind of put in there was the the part where the players get their pauses. Mm-hmm. And I know I've done it as GM. 
I'm, I'm sure you have in the past where uh, a player will say, oh, I wanted to go shopping. I would have had that thing or I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. You could say, well, we need to move ahead with this scene. And one of the ideas that I was reading about was um, – and I, I'm going to read it word for word here, which was uh, if despite your best efforts, you skip a little too far ahead and a player says, but I wanted to – just hand them a plot point. Tell them to spend it and revealing their plan preparations in the middle of the scene. With luck, they'll surprise the rest of the table with an unforeseen turn of events. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's actually very fair. Sure. I think if a player was just like, hey, I've got this idea, write it down on a scrap of paper, just slide it over to me. It'd be a plot point you can reveal during mm-hmm. during thing. And I think like I think to movies like <clears throat> Ocean's Eleven or or Leverage, where like the villain's just like, ha-ha, and they're like, actually. That's not how that worked out at all. When you walked in the door, we changed the nameplate in the door, and everyone that was in that meeting thought they were in a different meeting. So when you signed over, uh, when when you when you looked at that sheet of paper, you were looking at a piece of paper, but in fact, they had slid you a one million dollar check, and then you made an agreement right there in front of them. So they thought you agreed to their payoff, mm-hmm. and you now have a check that you signed. I didn't sign anything. Yes, you did. The bottom of that document. Yeah, that was the check at the bottom of it. You signed and agreed to it. But 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 that was all done on the sly. Who knows? They said you signed it. I said you signed it. Your signature matches. Dozens of witnesses saw you put your signature on it. So, hmm. Hmm. Who's going to believe what? Yep. And your player gets a gets a moment to brag about for the, probably the rest of their gaming lives. Exactly. Yeah. And that's – those kind of things you can do. It's but, great. But you also have to be flexible for those moments. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of trust that is built between the – the storyteller and the players that the player won't just come up with something ridiculous like I bought a you know a, a mini gun yeah you know and now now I have a mini gun you know in this scene that I just set up but you know what I'm going to say this as a storyteller be prepared for the mini guns yeah it's yeah. going to happen in your stories and you could say fantastic that's wonderful like you literally throw the sheet off you know a la matrix when he comes up to the side window and they're like oh what are you going to do and there's a mini gun on the side of the helicopter and he's just like son you could literally see the dm's face in the agent in agent smith like son of a- all right well this is happening now <laughs> but but the key is you just move on you make yep. six more agents and you keep rolling them. yeah yeah you know? yeah yeah you gotta plan a little bit on the fly and- that's right so I, I think there's some stuff to be – to talk about story choice and player choice yeah, in that. Yeah, and that's kind of where, where we're sitting with this and that is is that you've got to understand the two scene dynamics and how they play with each other mm-hmm. and how to balance that. Having yeah. that story choice where the plot is driving the characters, they're rolling initiative, they're mm-hmm. doing those things versus the players making – Either internal choices, preparation choices, maybe they're just kibitzing between them. Maybe it's, you know, and when I say kibitzing, it can be everything from, hey, you thief, last turn, I saw you steal that guy's stuff. We're taking it back. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not. I'm a thief. You know, I'll fight you for it. You know, sure. And, and you have those moments, the typical paladin thief problems. You know, you're going to have those player choice scenes, mm-hmm. but it's balancing that because not, I mean, you can't have your story full of those or else the story doesn't go through. But I say that at the same time as sometimes that's what your players want. Yeah. They want a plot light story driven. There's actually full game sets out there that are designed more about the player characters themselves yeah, interacting absolutely. with their environment of of social and things. There's a uh, superheroes game. I think I talked about it once before. I got to get the name of it. Um, 
where it's teen superheroes, like mm-hmm. Teen Titans kind of thing, except they live at home or they live in tough situations. And the story is less about them fighting crime and taking care of those things. And it's more about their like high school and oh. like relationships with their yeah. family and things like that and relationships with each other and struggles that they have with their with, – with just balancing who they are. I've heard about that and I, yeah. it's going to kill me that I don't know what the name of it is. Um, so when you – when you're thinking of – how you can deal with that uh, with that balance, your players will help you dictate what kind of a story they want. Yeah, and so knowing what they're looking for at the onset, you'll know whether or not you need to be story invested, or or if you need to be player invested. Exactly, and, and I think I think a lot of um, I think you're, you're you're hitting on a really great point there too because I think um, you know we can give all the pacing advice in the world, but a lot of it is just reading your party. Yes, reading your group. Um, and you know, I, I've said we've said a couple times on our our, our previous podcasts that uh, we are both in the habit of doing a breakdown at the end of our of our game sessions, where we ask, you know, what was your favorite thing, and what was the thing that you know we 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 could have improved on exactly. Um, and sometimes that's an in game thing, and sometimes that's an out of game thing, right? Um, so uh, sometimes, and it, it's 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 happened to me in the past. I think uh, uh, Steve was even, you know, our, our our fighter was even saying that like uh, a handful of of uh, game sessions ago, like we've been doing a lot of talking, and not a lot of fighting, and not my my character isn't built for talking. He's built for fighting, and right. I'm feeling a little left exactly. behind. I would I would like to get in a fight, please, mm-hmm. and you know, not saying like, hey, your plot's crap or anything, but just you know. My my character's a fighter. I would like to fight with him. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you know what you guys did very next game session? You went and slugged a bunch of ogres. And you, you had a blast and it set the pace again, you yeah. know, and and so it's just it's it's a little feedback like that. If your characters want to stop and talk and socialize and hang out at the tavern and really plot their next thing, it's okay. Yeah, you know, you don't have to constantly have to like. Oh shoot, we've we've had three slow scenes in the door. Mathematics tells me that I need to kick down the door with an elder vampire. You don't need to let no. him talk. But when it's time, when it's time for that action to happen, right? Then let the action happen. You know, right? right. So, and if your if your players look like they're a little exhausted, a little worn out, and yeah. just that they can't keep up with it, maybe allow them a respite and. Throw a slow scene in there. Give them some exposition. Tell them a little story. Give them a nice, you know, camp by the side of the road where they can just sit around the campfire and just talk and work through the things that they're going through. Don't attack them that night. Yeah. Let them set up watches and even tell them how peaceful the night is and the beautiful, mm-hmm. how beautiful the stars are. Yeah, and how the they fun. all get such a good, well-deserved rest mm-hmm. and start with the pacing again tomorrow. Yeah. Listen. Know what they want. Mm-hmm. Know what you want. That simple. And yet it's so hard. <laughs> it is. So hard. It is. Okay. Um, looking at our notes. Unfortunately, a lot of this is uh, stuff that stuff that you wrote. Um, so I am – Well, honestly, I think we killed it. But we have a lot of uh, questions too well, I, I, I that want, kind I want, of fit in. I one last, last thing to kind of add on, the, sure. on the, the, the tail end of the pacing discussion here. I wasn't sure if we would gotten through all of your content there and I think we did. Um, the, the one little note that I did add on the end, uh, end of this is the practical impacts of pacing. Oh, yes. Um, now, so this is one of the things that bothers me about D&D. As much of a fangirl as I am about this, uh, mm-hmm. about, about that, that particular game and 5th edition in general. Um, 
Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition assumes that there are going to be five to six medium encounters per adventuring day. That uh, a medium encounter should net you a certain amount of level appropriate XP, <laughs> and uh, if you're doing five to six of those every single day, and you are a full time adventurer, and you literally adventure seven days a week. It is calculated that it will take you approximately 37 days to go from level 1 to level 20. Yep. 37 days to go from kobolds are scary. Yep. To I am a lesser god. Yes. And I can three-shot an elder dragon. Yeah. Bring me a Tarask. Yep. So – uh, the practical applications of pacing are important. Um, even at a pace, a, a game with a slow, a bit of a slower narrative pace, uh, like like mine, um, our group has gone from, I, and I keep pretty strict uh, uh, track of the time because I open every single, um, every single game session with essentially a small like journal entry, almost beginning with the date, um, uh, even yes. what day it is. So. Uh, it, your group has been adventuring for just over a month, and you've already gone from level three to level six. So, the point of this basically is that uh, pacing can have a practical impact as well. If you are constantly on the move, constantly hitting them with things, constantly challenging them, and constantly rewarding them for overcoming those challenges, you may find that you are in a situation where your characters have jumped four levels in a week. Yeah. And uh, may have gone into a dungeon as defenseless whelps and come out uh, able to challenge small armies. So just be mindful, be careful, and don't be afraid to just say, you know what? Nothing happens this month. Yeah. Give me three things you would like your characters to accomplish during their downtime. Yeah. Or it, it, consequently, and mm-hmm. I'll throw this out there, is that there's no reason why you can't let environments also dictate things. If the last thing that they were dealing with was maybe they were at this keep that's on the on the on the coastline, mm-hmm. and it was dark and it was stormy, and they finally you know took care of everything there, there's nothing to say that a nor'easter didn't just come in, and they can't go out. Yeah, it is horrific outside. Yeah, so if they wish to stay safe, they can stay safe in the keep. And live out their provisions until they run out, uh, and then they'll have to go out and forage. But maybe the storm will be done by then. Well, heck, you I know. backed you guys up a day just some just some inconvenient afternoon rain the yep. other day. You yep. know? <laughs> but giving it mm-hmm. that thing, or you can say, "Do you guys want to do something?" Again, letting them take control, and you'd be like, "Okay, give me four rolls." Okay, it's a horrific time. You go out a few times venturing into it, uh, and those of you who went out did find a few things. But you also take exhaustion mm-hmm. because you didn't – because it's now you're now colder and wetter and covered in snow and ice that you're having to get out. You yep. had to go back out and find gear that you dropped you know, while yep. you were trying to do those things. You know, uh, Maybe some of the horses got out during that time. So you can always set it up so that the, the players aren't back at their full ready necessarily. Mm-hmm. But you've still given them a slow. Yep. You've given them that time to, to work through it absolutely. and let the environment do it because, it, I mean, the environment can be far more brutal than any monster. Oh, absolutely. Far more brutal. Absolutely. So – and to, to answer your question, Knox, because at, at what point do you heap on the exhaustion? Um, I think that exhaustion is something that should be used as a uh, – as an intermediate uh, like handicap. 
So I would say if your players are pushing and they're pushing for fights, like they're they want to just keep right on going, they're taking an hour rest, you know, their their idea of a long rest is literally book long rest kind of stuff where they're not really doing it. Sure, push them. Push that exhaustion. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to stay in the dungeon and keep crawling the dungeon? It is a dungeon. It is not an inn. You want to have a long rest? You get a long rest, but you still have exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah, I I usually um I usually pose it as a choice. Um, more or less, where it's like, okay, yeah. fine. If you want to do something extraordinary, you want to, you know, make the long march through the night, or you want to, you yeah. know, uh, do this inconvenient thing. Yeah, you're going to take some exhaustion for it. But if you are slow and cautious, and don't do the extraordinary right. thing, then you can, yeah, you'll yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. So, um, so you know, at then then you're well, you know to 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 the discussion. Then you're putting the pacing in the hands of the PCs again, right? And you're saying, do you want the fast pacing? Right. Because there's going to be a consequence for it or do you want to slow your pacing? Right. I mean and we're dealing with fantasy. Mm-hmm. If you look at traditional like uh, people who are in combat and battle throughout, you know, I will say middle – anywhere from the Middle Ages all the way up through, combat didn't happen all that often. Mm-hmm. I mean even like some of the Roman armies which marched north quite fast, it was months yeah. to get from point A to point B. You'd set up camp. Yep. You'd get prepped. There would be huge discussions. Your tacticians would do things. There wouldn't even be necessarily skirmishes, mm-hmm. but there might be. But the idea of a, a fighter going you know, toe-to-toe with somebody else in a combat line, maybe you'd, every two weeks, three weeks maybe? Yeah. It kind of you wasn't know? even uncommon to even like get to your destination and then just set up camp outside of them. Yeah. Just start the siege like, yeah. hi, we're here. We've been marching all night, but uh Yeah. Oh, we're just going to put up tents. We'll fight you in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or or worse yet, you, you bombard the hell out of them and just walk in and there's really not much – there's no real resistance anymore, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. He says learn, learn a phalanx. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Note to self, teach Vox Machina what a phalanx is. <laughs> yes. They're not just cannons. They're not just cannons. All right, are we are we ready to move into questions? Maybe I think we're ready I think to move there's in, some. Yeah. I think there's some definitely good questions. Yeah, let's let's get some questions um, here. I actually haven't I haven't looked at most of these questions. There's so some maybe... pa- some great pacing questions in there, and I th- I think that uh, we can talk a little bit about those and you then get move some through... unfiltered Sarah tonight. Ooh, yeah, because we're we, we we may or may not be sipping something. Um, so that being said, um, go ahead and grab one. All right, I'll well, we'll gra- just start at the I'll top here. Back. Sure. Uh, so Technolich throws at us, uh, what is your favorite character creation system and why? Um, okay, so I'm a little embarrassed about this because for as much shade as I have thrown at Shadowrun in the past, um, I kind of like the core of its character creation system. Which one? Okay, so maybe uh, – so – what I like about it, what I like about it is that it's a priority system. That is one of the systems, definitely. Okay. So there's like A, B, C, D, and E or something I'd like that. I'd get strangled and, by, and, by Overwatch if I didn't answer that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so what, what, yeah. I, what I like about it is that it's a, it's a priority system and it's like A, B, C, D, and E and you, so it's like your physical stats – um, or your your resources like your money and your, your equipment and whatnot or your ability to cast magic or your skills or – and I think there's like what – maybe contacts is it or something like that. Um, I don't really – or no, it's it's your race. Like it's – it, Race. It? Yeah, race is one attributes, of Attributes, money uh, and uh, – Skills. Skills. 
Yep, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's it. It's just the four of them. Uh, it's yes. uh, magic and magic. Yeah, okay. Prioritization of magic. Yep. Okay. So basically, I always miss that one too. <laughs> um, you have to put these all in in descending descending order of importance. If you want lots of attributes, you can't be the best type of caster in the game. You also can't be the biggest and strongest, you know, say like troll in the game. You might you might still be able to be an elf or a human or a dwarf or something, but you can't get like the huge physically powerful races that have like inherent damage reduction Correct. and a plus three to your strength, you know. Um, and you lose things through prioritization. Right. And so if you do want to be a really good caster with good skills and good attributes, your money is going to suck. Mm-hmm. You're, and you're, you're probably going to be a human, you know. Yeah. Um, exactly. So it forces you to make some choices and it forces you to kind of triage things out. Um, and I've I've always really liked that. Uh, there's – Because I, you I, can make choices. Yeah. You, be, you don't have to choose one or the other. Yeah. And I mean, you know, once you've got, you know, you decide you've got 27 skill points to spend instead of just 13 or something like that, you know, then obviously you've got some smaller choices to make in there and you can really design your character. But from the get-go, it dictates that you're not going to be a – you're not going to be good at anything, but you're also not going to be necessarily – or you're not going to be good at everything, but you're also not going to be necessarily like a, a jack-of-all-trades sort of thing. Right. But one thing you're going to be amazing at. Yes. And that's yes. – whatever you prioritize A, you're going to be amazing at. Now – Sometimes that's race because you want to be the biggest, baddest thing on the planet. Exactly. You know, but some people are like, I want to be a magician and mm-hmm. I want to be great at it. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to, you know, freaking lay down and just cover people in, in, in Eldritch flames, flames yeah. and burn, you know, fire, shooting fireballs left and right. Mm-hmm. You can do that. 100% do that. <laughs> the rule is dragons never deal with me. <laughs> I'm not going to say that that's not the rule. Yeah. <laughs> but. So uh, yeah, I I I do like that in the Shadowrun system. Uh, funny enough, okay. um, mine is not, and it's it's kind of stupid. But I always I find the TMNT character creation fun. Yeah, it's random, it's chaotic. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens in it, and you can it's it's just weird. It's just weird. It's tabled weird, and. I like that because you can sit back. It's its own game, you know. Uh-huh. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not paranoia, um, but uh, which I will not get into. I refuse to because we could just lose the whole game right here um, in a discussion. But the truth of it is, is that it 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 gives you a lot of flavor, um, and some systems do have that in there. Like Seventh C has a randomizer in it uh, built in that you can you can choose to do. And you can randomly create your character in 7C uh, using their uh, fate slash tarot system that they have built mm-hmm. in. And I think that's neat. Um, I like that they get – because not everybody can think up something on the fly. Yeah. And you need to be able to accommodate those people who haven't role-played, who, who maybe had some of their imagination stifled when they were a child. Yeah. I mean I know friends that I grew up with who weren't allowed to watch cartoons. Mm-hmm. You know, who had to, you know, who basically all their toys were very mechanical and physical and, you know, you needed to be good at math and you need to be good at science. So those are the things you're going to have. So like the idea of, of you know, taking Legos and turning them into spaceships just didn't seem right. They had to build the Lego set. Yeah. And then they could use that Lego set to do something. Right, right. But there were no stories. Like their, their creativity was so stunted. It's, so it's it's not a it's not a it's not a bunch of Legos that I can be creative with. Right. It's an IKEA space shuttle. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> so this kind of gave them 
a way to create a system to be able to create that and i mm-hmm. i kind of respect that that idea i think there's a, there's also um a lot of a lot to be said too for like people with anxiety and stuff like that oh god um, yeah where you know making a choice is actually kind of a you know it, it induces it induces anxiety for them where like oh god i have to pick magic or attribute well you know sometimes it's nice to have some dice to make that you know, I want or, you to hold that chart. right there in yeah. your head for next week's discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there's something to really be said there about okay. that, but we'll get to that. We'll okay. get to that. We'll get there. All right, let's hit another question. All right. So the Mad Elf asks, uh, favorite non-die roll resolution system aside from the Jenga Tower? <laughs> okay, so apparently I have I have big I've, uh, aside from I have Jenga. belabored dread to the point where it, it is, is no longer a valid response. <laughs> it is at the far end of the spectrum. It that is. is still it's still random. It is, but it it is a different system. Um, God, I don't know. Non-die roll. Oh, I, I definitely got this one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, I played an entire campaign in Dragonlance 5th Age. Mm, okay. Which was a deck of special cards yes. with different suits that had to do with uh, the attributes. Mm-hmm. So it had, I think it had 10 suits in the deck or something yeah. like that. One through 10. Right. Um, and so like – for instance, orbs was the was the suit of perception. So right. if you were trying to notice something, you would draw a, a, a card from your hand right. to play. And your cards also counted as your hit points essentially. So the more wounded you became, the less options you had to be able to bring to bear because you'd have less cards in your hand. And so you would flip that and if it was uh, uh, if it was an orb – because you're doing a perception check, it's considered trump for that suit. And so you would flip the next top card on the deck and add it to the total. And if that was a per, if that was an orb, you'd flip another and you'd keep going until either you didn't get another orb or you um you you know exceeded the target number and then that would that's your resolution system. Yeah, uh we played something similar to that. Chris uh, ran Savage Worlds. Oh uh, yeah, as yeah, a yeah. one shot, and he used a deck, mm-hmm. and it was a random system. Uh, and I, for the life of me, it, it wasn't that long ago that we did this, uh, but I liked the we didn't do a lot with it. Like the action economy wasn't in the game that way. Is is that what they is that what they run uh, uh, Deadwood out of? I think so. I okay. think it is because uh, the the Critical Role crew actually just put out um, Undeadwood. Uh, on on YouTube and Twitch, uh, and it was a whole it was a four four part uh, Deadwood series game. So if you want to see it in action, you can watch it there. Yeah, because it, it has to do with uh, the deck and suit give you uh, is for your uh, like initiative. And there's something else in there. Like I'll have mm-hmm. to look it back up, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And it was neat. It was really neat. I yeah. liked it. I wish we would have played more of it because it was a neat system, a different way because it wasn't just what you'd think where it's like, oh, it's a randomizer. No, there's there's more going on there behind the scenes mm-hmm. with that deck and that the Joker really means something significant. And, you know, you're, uh, you know, getting a diamond over a spade means something different as well. Yep. So it was, it was neat. It was really neat. Yep. All right. Knox uh, is asking uh, in in the uh, the Discord oh. here. Wasn't there a game called Amber or something? Oh God, Amber! Jesus, Amber! <laughs> Rob has got some opinions. No, I'm not even going to talk about Amber. I'm not even going to discuss it. It has been. I can honestly say it's been more than 20 years since I've played Amber. Okay. I can't remember anything other than the social aspects of Amber. Amber was always purported to be a diceless game. It is. 
Um, it so, is. And I've, I've never even looked at it. I just heard it's um, troublesome to run because of that. And It is, but I mean you have to – everyone has to know the system to be able to do it. And it's it, – there, there it is a very challenging social system. Yeah. Um, and I, I, at the time that I played it, looking back in my mind, I'm like, why did I play that game? Mm-hmm. Like, why did I get involved with it? Because it, I, I did not like it because I, I didn't like the people who liked to play it. <laughs> the people who were good at it, you know, were had bad a, people. <laughs> no, they were a different type of player. Okay, and it made it very challenging. I mean, I came out of. Uh, I, I, I can honestly say this: none of the people I played Amber with. I I still have contact with. Okay. Okay. But I know people who've played Amber and who were kind of good at it because okay. they understood it. Um but even they had their own struggles with others. Um with that were in that and and knew what those people were like after mm-hmm. they played. So I think it it definitely uh it definitely set a tone yeah. for that system. So I would say if if you want to know more about Amber, ask Overwatch. He uh he has opinions. And he'll tell you the truth of the system as well because he still has more of a mind of it than I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know nothing of it. I, I can't even con- contribute to that uh, the discussion. All right. So our next question uh, actually comes to us from Knox in the Box, not from the Discord, but from uh, just uh, having posted it. Well, OK. So it still comes from the Discord. You know what I mean? Um, not live on the Discord. Uh, right, how would right. you pace something that might trigger the party to jumping into something that they aren't strong enough or ready for? Uh, yet seem like an immediate threat that needs a response or has seemingly a short timetable, uh, i.e. a loved one or important figure has taken hostage by an incredibly powerful foe or taken to a very difficult location. Um, OK, so I think what you're talking about here, um, you and I, of course, both being critters, I think if I say uh, the Chroma Conclave was very much like this, um, you would understand exactly what I'm saying. So uh, the short story is Critical Role. Um, five elder dragons attacked the capital city and the party was very quickly thrown into a, oh, crap, we can't fight even one of these things. It literally just one shot three of the people that we thought were super powerful. So we should run. Um, I think the pacing for that, you you have to make very clear at the onset that your party is outmatched. If you do not intend for them to fight it, you need to let them know or so help me they will try to fight it. And you will either have to find an excuse where your villain is like, you're beneath my notice. I'm just going to backhand one of you real hard and walk away because you're not worth my time. Or you need to find some other excuse why he doesn't just turn them into paste and continue with his evil plan. Or, then this is mine, mm-hmm. uh, your players need to siege the king's castle. There's four of you. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, planning, number one, two, it's done in multiple scenes. It's yeah. broken down. Yeah. You take the pacing as as I need to complete tasks. You, you, you eat the elephant one bite one at, bite a, time. at a time. Yeah. But it all comes down to your players – you kind of giving them options that are smaller. You mm-hmm. don't say, hey, you've made it to the courtyard. There are 40 guards in ranks waiting, two large armored men at the door at, at every door uh, and uh, as pikemen and arrowmen take every slit mm-hmm. uh, now gleaming with the tips of their arrows. What do you do? That's a terrible thing to offer your players, especially if they're if they don't know. 
Like, yeah. what, what do we do? We, we can't get in. You know, you may have one or two conning players will be like, well, I'll sneak in and do this. And mm-hmm. then now they have a way to go in. But presenting them with something that daunting, that giant in scope is very challenging and can be quite anxiety driven. But saying that and then saying, but you find your way to the sewers mm-hmm. and now you have a small opening per se into the story where they can start examining it at a smaller level i think too um the the sort of scene you're talking about here um you know kind of harken back to what the chroma conclave ended up being is a is a, is a paradigm shift in your entire story you yeah. know sometimes bad things happen yeah sometimes you're just powerless mm-hmm. sometimes the big bad evil guy just does whatever the hell he wants yeah and you kind of just have to stand there and watch until you're ready. And maybe it's not a simple exchange of big bad evil guy steal, you know, takes takes a princess hostage and next scene is us rescuing the princess. Maybe that princess is going to be there for the next 17 game sessions. Yeah. Well, you guys work out what resources you need, mm-hmm. how you're going to do it. Yep. And and then, you know, finally executing the plan. Yeah, exactly. Take I mean the players sometimes need to struggle, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to give them a set of options. Yep. And I'm going to say it, if you have players who have make a who have a bad time making choices, give them three options. Yeah. No more, yeah. No less. Um I it's it's pretty common I think in both of our both of our storytelling mm-hmm. styles to to meta with our players. Yep. Um where we'll say, "Okay, what what are you guys thinking? What do you believe your options to be? Have you considered that this other not not saying you could you could enact this plan. Nope. But ha- do you remember that this piece is on the board? Correct. Oh, that's right. We did meet that sailor who really kind of liked us. Maybe we could ask him if we could use a boat, mm-hmm. or maybe if he knows someone, we could that that could help us traverse the ocean. It's at least a starting point. We didn't remember. Cool. Thank you for the reminder. You know, you just open open a few doors. Make sure that they know what what their resources are, and let them craft the plan. Exactly. Exactly. So. All right, uh, Knox. Uh, let's talk about shopping. Or oh, did I miss one? Yeah, uh, I did. No, technology. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. What is a good way to deal with the player that wants to play the oddball character that doesn't quite fit into the party or setting? Ugh. Not necessarily a lone wolf, but just a bit quirky. Uh, <laughs> a bit quirky. Uh, what is some ways uh, to have a better line of fit without shutting down an enthusiastic player's creativity? <sighs> So we call these. Uh, I, I've heard. I've heard a really good term for these. Uh, for these types of, oh. types of players, the thirteenth warrior. Yeah. Yep. No. I, I. I think that's a. I was gonna try. I was gonna say. There's. There's a couple different ways I could say this. Yeah. But I think that's succinct. Those are. Those are called thirteenth warriors. Yep. Where they. Where it's literally you've got a group of Vikings and this guy is a scholar from an, another an, land, an Arab poet. Right. Like, yeah. What? Like. Well, I'm playing a bard, but I'm. I'm a poet. You mm-hmm. don't play an instrument. No. I. I do sonnets. Okay. Do you have any combat skills? None. None. You know this is a combat campaign. You're going to be fighting like barbarian tribes, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Um, what? <laughs> so I, I think I think the important thing, at least for me, maybe, yep, well, maybe to sit down and have a conversation with the with the with mm-hmm. the, the player about the characters. Um, first off, approve your PCs. Before yes. you start, before you even start the game, don't let them show up to game one and go. Here's my wacky idea that's going to destroy your plot. Yep. Always have a session zero where you're character yep. building and you're discussing how their character fits into your plot before you ever start the game. 
and my I always say this to people because I used to do it and I don't anymore. And that is, don't say no. Mm-hmm. Like if your player comes up with a crazy idea, go okay. Let me go think about that. Right. And literally take your brain away from the other players and your plot and the story, and think about that player in the world. Mm-hmm. Why are they there? Maybe maybe they have a quirky idea for how they're going to play their character, but they don't know their backstory. Yep. And so now you have something unique that you can hold in there maybe their character knows something that none of the other players know Mm -hmm. maybe they have an item that they need that that everyone else needs maybe they're the missing link and then talk with them about what they want to do with that character because like the 13th warrior none of them were really that great of riders but that man could effing ride Mm -hmm. better than anyone and he showed them a thing or two he also learned their effing language which says a lot yep um, and once he put a curve in his sword, he was actually a reasonable swordsman. Correct. But all of that was learned along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed him to have a different perspective than anyone else. And yes. the other the other players in that story changed. They shifted their perspectives ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. And he, even he grew as a character because he found courage within himself that he didn't believe was there. He was just a poet up right. until that point and he came back a seasoned warrior. Right. So take take whatever they give you mm-hmm. and think about it. And I always – I try and tell my players to come up with more than one concept mm-hmm. and then when they hear what the story is about, they can say, OK, I'm going to go with this. Yeah. I think concept B would fit better than concepts A or C. Right. You know? But if they're hard-nosed about playing one thing because that's something they really wanted to play, like I want to play a religious zealot and that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be – you know. Really, really important, you know, talking about my character's God and that it's the best God and the only God, and I'm going to try and convert the entire party to my God. That's what I'm going to do in this game session. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, your God in this world basically doesn't exist. Your whole religion was wiped out. It's why you're so fervent. No one knows about your God. No one's ever heard of your God. It's been 200 years. I, I, w- I would say I would say more than that, though. It's important to have a conversation of what type of story do you want to tell. So I would – before I even start in with the fine, your God is dead. Right. Um, I would start with the, OK, so you want to play a religious zealot mm-hmm. who wants to convert everybody. What is your character's goal? Yeah. What are you – where are you going with this? What right. function in the party do you believe your character is going to serve? Mm-hmm. And what sort of story are you looking to tell with them? Uh, a happy story, uh, an angry story, a revenge story, yeah. something like that. Just, if just they don't me, have something, let them kind of push that. Let them find yeah. out. Mm-hmm. What are you looking to explore here? And that again, it also comes back to what type of story you're doing. I mean mm-hmm. if it's a combat-based story, it really doesn't matter what he's doing socially. Like that doesn't – Way on to any part of it. Yes, Knox. Justify your existence. I'm a sweet cleric with a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah. Um, always keep your players enthusiastic about their creativity. I think that's a good thing to do. All right. Let's swing it back to Knox in the box. He asks, let's talk about shopping, loot distribution, and other tedious game maintenance. How can we speed that up or make it more fun to, uh, more of a fun story experience? Um, there's a couple tax i think you could take on this uh i would say to speed it up um just make it simple yeah make it if it's if you're really being in a game where uh encumbrance is being used where items are being used where that's where that's where you're putting a lot of weight 
you mm-hmm. know, in your game. Like, hey, the, and and I'm not saying that that's in D and D sense. It can be very big, but imagine if you're running, a, you're using D and D rules to run a game of uh, climbing a mountain. Mm-hmm. Like you're just it's a, it, you're using fifth edition, but your players are all mountain climbers, mm-hmm. and you're trying to get to the top of this peak. Uh, to be the first ones to do it. So that's the game. That's mm-hmm. that's the session. That's what we're running. Now gear matters. Now shopping matters. Now gear management really matters. So each one of those are going to become an active scene. Death Stranding, the role-playing game. Exactly. So, <laughs> But on the other hand, if you're running a game where it's mostly social and those shopping trips are inconsequential, mm-hmm. make them inconsequential. Don't, yeah. Like barely include them. Yeah. On the other hand, you can do what I did in my 7th C game where sometimes the shopkeepers are a bit more than they seem. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> they turn into major NPCs when you're not paying attention because one of your PCs gets attached to them and decides to suck them into their personal story. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you um, have scenes where a player wants a specific thing and so you make the, you make that into a minor quest and you say, "Hey, if you want this, then I need these." Yeah, and you end up yeah. with some very cool playback scenes. I mean, I I think I think again it comes down to that aspect of pacing where you kind of need to be paying attention to your your players yep. and you kind of need to cater the, the there's there's no there's no one answer to this no. this question. The, the the answer is whatever your players want. Yeah. You know, if you've got a table full of Travis Willinghams who are like, "Uh, shopping episode. I hate buying imaginary things. Can't we just put them on our character sheets and go?" Then your pacing should be all right, guys, spend gold. Yep. Tell me what you're buying. There you Add go. To your sheets. Approved. 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 Uh, you can't find the full plate, but you can find half plate. Is that okay? Cool. Put the half plate on your sheet. Is there a potion store? Sheet. Roll. No, yes. there isn't one. Right. <laughs> Put the half plate on your sheet. Let's roll. Yep. Next scene. Yeah, is. exactly. Or if you're into a party of deep role players, maybe you do come up with a couple shopkeeper NPCs that have elaborate conversations and you do a funny voice as they display mm-hmm. their wares and, oh, yes, this piece over here was acquired from a rare yep. uh, dealer of arms from the long distant lands. Exactly. All right. I think we got one more question here. All right. What happens when you encounter a rule or mechanic that everyone at the table is confused about? How do rule issues in general affect pacing? What is your go-to in those situations? Uh, make a make a table rule and go and move on. Yeah, yeah especially if you're dealing with a fast scene and it's mm-hmm. something tight. Just it, a scene shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, make a make a table ruling and and just let everybody know you'll you'll give them an official ruling when you have time outside of game to look it up. Correct. And if if a player struggles with something where they're like, no, that's not how that works. Like the 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 rules are very clear in this section and this section. That's great. This is the table rule. Let's move on. Yep. This I will is, come back to this after we're done. Yep. Or or if if you are in an impasse, a lot of game systems, and I agree with this, um, have a roll off. Just yeah. roll a d6. High roll. High roll gets to make that call. Yep. You know, if you, you, if know. you think it does direct, you know, uh, direct hit point damage and I think it hits the armor instead, okay, uh, oh, it hits the armor because I won the roll. So yep. let's just move on. Yep. We'll figure it out later. You're probably right. Yeah. Fate dictates a lot of things. It can right. dictate this as well. Yep. So. All right. Uh, I think that's that's all we got here. So uh, next week is uh, – is another uh, holiday week. Another holiday week for us. So we're going to be doing a show on uh, the mood of hopeful and thankful mm-hmm. and uh, give you guys a little bit of flavor of that. How to add some uplifting vibes into your story. So uh, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave. 
also on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave, and on Discord. Uh, we tweet out the link rather frequently nowadays. Uh, you mm-hmm. can also find the uh, the link to our Discord in uh, any of the episode descriptions on your favorite listening software. Yes. And thank you very much to our patron members, especially Knox in the Box, who's at our contributed level. If you'd like to uh, have uh, your name said on here and talk with us like he does on the uh, show, you can join us on patreon.com slash Storyteller Conclave, uh, and you'll see our levels there. If you have questions, feel free to ask them to us directly. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog, and you can find that at geefrog.webly.com. Our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Uh, we broadcast at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. Our engineer is Kate. Knox says hi, by the way. <laughs> and uh, we'd like to give a big shout out to our families, as always. Vicki and Sean, thank you for uh, letting us uh, get out of the house every once in a while and talk in front of mics. All of our friends who've sat at the tables with us over the years share this experience. And you, our listeners, we yes. love you. Thank you. 